<laughs> well, good morning. My name is Paul. Oh, come on. Good morning. There we go. Jeez. We come off worship so quickly. We're like, yeah. And then we're like, oh, gosh. All right. Good morning online. Uh, my name is Paul. I get to uh, preach today and teach. And uh, I've asked that you guys uh, help me out and listen. And uh, just, uh, you know, let this soak in today, what we're going to speak about. So I'm going to pray real quick, and we'll get right into it. God, thank you for this morning, for the worship, and uh, that we get to come into this place, God, and acknowledge you as our creator, as the one who changed our lives. And God, I pray right now, if there's uh, people in here who are uh, seeking you, God, right now, that God, I would do my best to reveal your character, your truth, God, and why we do what we do here uh, as Christians. So Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I have three children, and uh, there's a joke a comedian said, well, that's one way to live your life, is to uh, have three kids. And uh, um, I remember the, the day I walked, we, we, I walked home. <laughs> we walked home from the hospital. No, we, uh, we got home, and we, we, uh, we, we had our first kid, uh, son, Everett, go to, go to bed. And uh, anybody else in here a heavy sleeper? Everybody else is a light sleeper. Wow, that's amazing. We got to sleep better. Come on. But I remember going to sleep like 11 o'clock, and uh, we, we, I slept, and I slept all night, our first night at home. And I woke up at 7.30, and my wife walks in with Everett, our son, and I go, wow, that was a great night's sleep, huh? He slept the whole night through. And she just looks at me like she was up all night with him, and I slept the, you know, I slept the entire night through. Anybody else done that? No? Okay. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I remember a few years later, I had one of those, uh, I had a long day at work, and my, we were uh, blessed, my wife was able to stay home, and I, was come, I came home from work, and uh, the, uh, I had a long day, and I was tired, and you know, I came home, and, and there was, uh, the house, we'll just say, was a mess, and we had two young kids at home, and I looked at my wife, and I, I made a really fatal error, and I, go- I actually Googled, like, things you don't say to your wife, and what I said was on actually on the top five list, so this is embarrassing. But I, you know, it'd been a long day with the kids, and I walked in, and the house was, uh, you know, it was messy. So instead of helping, I said the words, what did you do all day? <laughs> no girls are shaking their head. Yeah, that's a good thing to say, right? No? Okay. So I'm already like, you guys probably have a, a lower, uh, you know, good, like a lower view on me right now because I said that. But I, I, you do not, man, let me just tell you, do not walk in and say, what did you do all day? Because it was, in, she had a rough day. And uh, so I should have learned to not say that. Uh, so listen, men in the room, regardless of how the house looks, check on her first. The dishes can wait. Amen? Woo! <laughs> um, but today I want to talk about the importance of story. Those are just a, a few quick stories. But stories give us an insight, right, into somebody's background, experience, where they've been, uh, what's happened in their life. So I'm going to talk about story. So we I came up with a really creative uh, title for this sermon called Our Story. Say, good job, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. But I want to, so I'm going to, there's a lot of stories in the Bible, right? We, we get up here pretty much every Sunday and we, we recite, we, we pull from this, this book of, uh, called the Bible. And we talk about stories of men and women, of what happened and their story, the story of God. And we apply that to our lives. Okay. So story is very, it's not even just, it's not a Christian thing. 
It's, it's a very human thing to tell story. Every civilization has this, the art of storytelling, right? It's how we put words to what has happened to us. And what we believe as humans, the difference is what will happen in the future. No other uh, being can really tell the, look forward to the future like humans can. So I want to far, first start with a, a man in the, in the New Testament called Saul of Tarsus. Anybody ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? Yes. Okay, I'm going I'm I'm to stop asking you to raise your hands because that's just awkward, right? All right. So he plays an extraordinary story in the Bible. And, oh, let me just pause for a second. Uh, I, I meant to do this. We had uh, uh, a birthday this last week. And uh, John O, please stand. He's like, I don't want to do anything this service. He's trying to get out of it. But this last week, one day, I don't know when it was. No, I'm just kidding. Thursday? Thursday, while in Cabo, he turned 40 years old. So let's give him a hand. You looking good? Do you want to sing? All right. You guys want to sing? All right. Stand up. Turn. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. All right. Happy birthday to you. You don't look a day over 39. <laughs> and John's funny because like, you know, some, I was like, come on, let's celebrate. It's my birthday. You know, I just turned 40 about a month ago. I didn't get a birthday song, but no, I'm just kidding. But thank you. We're not going to do it again. But uh, I'll just apply that to my birthday. But I was like, yeah, let's do birthdays. Let's do this. And John is like, let's do a birthday party. He's like, no, nah, I don't want to do anything. He's like, so anyway, um, we're, uh, we're working on it though. We'll get there. Maybe next year we'll celebrate you. So Paul... Um, before he's Paul, is a man named Saul of Tarsus, okay? A little bit, I'm gonna, I gotta go fast here. I got a lot to do, and I'm gonna do my best. So lean in, focus, and uh, this is only gonna be as good as you guys listen to me, amen? And we should probably say that every week, but the more you listen, that's a speaker's job. It's like, let you, you know, you guys can, like, take something from this. So that's my heart today. He was born in Tarsus around 81 through 5, uh, after death, one, basically, like, 2,000 years ago. His parents were Pharisees. These were teachers of the Jewish law. Think of it as like a pastor. Uh, Saul's family were Roman citizens, but viewed Jerusalem as a sacred city. So Saul went on to become a lawyer, and all signs pointed to him becoming part of the Sanhedrin. And now the Sanhedrin is just the Jewish Supreme Court. Think of it like the highest law of the land uh, that would oversee Jewish uh, law and Jewish life. All right. So he's going to become like you know, just like our Supreme Court, think of this guy's like, he's pretty legit. He's going to become, now it's not like, seven, there's 71 people in the Sanhedrin, so it's fairly large, but he's like, pretty big deal. So he was zealous for his face and didn't allow for compromise, and this is what ultimately led him down the path of religious extremism. He had a bit of rough and, grime, and grimy reputation. A lot of us think of his, because he later became Paul, we're like, man, Paul's awesome, but Saul at the time was pretty rough. So the beginning of his story is told in the book of Acts. And Stephen, uh, a, a recent Christian convert, had just, had just done a sermon. And he completed a thunderous sermon, like, not a seeker-friendly, um, I'm going to, like, tell you about grace, and we're going to be happy, and we're going to leave here. But this is like calling out your sin, right? And pretty rough to the Jewish people, and telling them that they needed to call on Jesus as the true Son of God. So 
it enrages the crowd. So think of enrages, and I don't mean that like just like metaphorically, but it literally enrages the, cr- the crowd where the crowd was like gnashing of teeth is what one of the translations says. So they're like spitting, angry, okay? And um, it wasn't an email or a blog or we're going to rally. It enraged the crowd. So, so much that they ended up stoning. This is rough, and I know it's a hard way to start, but this is, he's, they ended up stoning Stephen, who was preaching, okay? And they drag him outside. So in Acts 7, 57 through 58, at this very, uh, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. All right, so they just, they just uh, executed Stephen, and they laid basically in submission, like, Saul, do you approve? So he, Saul then approves of his execution. The stoning of death is not grotesque to Saul. It does not appall him. He agrees with the execution. He's, I dare say, maybe even enjoying himself. Okay, think of this. He's Jewish. He's, he's going to become part of the Sanhedrin, and he's hating, hating the Christian movement that's uprising. Okay. So he had become a, a sort of a religious terrorist. So there he is. He gladly watches the execution of Stephen. He begins ravaging the church, and this emboldens his rage even more, kind of like just, just feeding this, this murderous rage inside of him. So now, so, so much now he's dragging people, husband, fathers, mothers, kids, from their homes to put them in prison. His anger reaches a high where he proactively approaches the government for consent to continue his persecution. In Acts 9, 1 through 2, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way being uh, the, the early Christians, that's what it was referred to, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So literally going into churches, into synagogues, and, and pulling out people, imagine there are people in here who were professing Jesus and pulling them out of church. We live in a different time, don't we? Saul was angered by what he had seen and filled with murderous rage, like I said. This man's rage cannot be quelled. He sees men killed. He enjoys the execution. He proactively heads to the high priest, asks for permission to go to Damascus to bind them, drag them like a parade. Back to Jerusalem to show that they have not lined up with the true God of the universe. This brother is dark. This is Saul before he was Paul. He's dark. So in his own testimony in 1 Timothy years later, after he'd been converted, and we'll get to that, he called himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Uh, The word insolent is a tough one, but it's meaning you're not interested in the gospel and that no answers will change your mind or satisfy. Have you ever talked to someone about trying to convince them of something and they just won't have it? They're like, I'm not even going to listen. You're not going to convince me. No words are going to change my mind. So Paul referred to himself as an insolent. Like That's how much he was stuck in his way. He was not doubting his doubt. So when we think about the scary or dark places, think about Saul of Tarsus. When we think about those who are violent against Jesus, seeking governmental permission to oppress, to approve of executions in a mob setting, and persecute a whole sect of people, think of Saul. Can I grab that? Can you grab that water for me? (laughs) 
But then, come on, say, but then, something extraordinary happened. Here we go. I got us pretty, I don't see many smiling faces right now, but it's real. Got to read this, guys. This is, this is I, we could spend probably six months just talking about Paul, okay? So I'm doing this in, I think that was seven minutes, um, but I want to give the, uh, the, I'm painting a picture of a story of this man that we call Paul and who he was. So here we go. Continuing in Acts 9, verse 3. Uh, as he neared Damascus... Oh, we, we forgot to do our thing. Acts 9, 3. We celebrate the Word of God because it reveals Jesus and Jesus changes our lives. Sorry, I got stuck there. See? Need you up here, man. As he neared Damascus on his journey, so he's on the way to Damascus, about 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus. Remember, he had just got the letters. He's going to go into Damascus in his synagogue be like, I'm coming. I'm coming for you guys, you know? They don't even know he's coming, but he's coming to take them out and rip them out of their churches, out of their synagogues, and take them back to Jerusalem to imprison and potentially murder them. So he's on his journey. Suddenly a light fell from heaven, flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, he replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Skipping forward to chapter 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. <laughs> this is like really fast. He gets up and he's baptized in the name of Jesus. He had just been, like, I can't um, underscore this enough, but if you can put it in the context of like the most visceral hate you have for something else and in a moment flip and say he is the one and I'm going to now follow him that's incredible it's extraordinary it's extraordinary and after taking some food because he's a Christian right we got to get some food he regained his strength so think of Ananias in this moment, and I can't go into this whole thing, but Ananias was the one that essentially like led him in prayer to receive the Holy Spirit and to get baptized. You got to believe he was, a, even in the scripture, he's like, God, this is a bad dude. He came here, I'm supposed to trust him? Like he seems like, yeah, he might put on a show or something's going on, but you want me to go to him and pray for him to receive Jesus? I know this guy. Uh, but he told Ananias he was a chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles, not the, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, non-Jews kings and children to Israel. Ananias found Saul and told him of his vision of Jesus Christ. Saul received the Holy Spirit. He regained his sight and was baptized. And then he proclaimed in the synagogues as Jesus as the son of God, the church continued to crease in numbers. So he goes on this road to go into the synagogues to rip out the Christians and actually comes in and talks to the Jewish people and says, Jesus is the son of God. Put up the inflection point slide for me, Heather. So there's an inflection point, right, of uh, there's uh, in our lives. And that's where he said that the sort of mini graphic, there's a lot of inflection points. And this, the road to Damascus was Paul, the Saul's 
soon to be the Apostle Paul, or we go by his Roman name later, Saul's inflection point was the road to Damascus and getting kicked off his horse and going blind. And that completely changed his trajectory. I think he was probably going this way, (laughs) and that completely changed his trajectory. So from that moment on, Saul's life was turned upside down. Let's be clear, all right, in this. Saul was not a seeker of God. He was 100% against Christians. He He wasn't attending a life group or Sunday services, or reading The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, right? He's not like, well, maybe I'll check this thing out. And uh, he is not in doubt about his doubts. He is that much against and convinced that what he's doing in the name of the true God is to murder and imprison Christians. So he's not like on the fence here, okay? But this is a beautiful thing. Like, Jesus didn't care. He could have looked around and probably found a, a much, bunch of other really good people that were probably better candidates than Paul right? Or Saul. But he kicked him off his horse and, bl- and blinds him and changes his life in an instant. Through prayer and community, Saul received the Holy Spirit. His life could have simply ended there uh, with an amazing encounter with Jesus. He could have joined a local church and basked in the goodness of God's mercy and grace, right? They're like, man, I'm just going to join a synagogue and God's so good. And uh, this is, I'm just going to keep doing this. This is, I, I'm just so glad I'm not who I was. Um, but what if he would have done that? What if he would have just stopped there and let his story be his story? Um, But he didn't. His story was about to take a radical shift. He then moved a life of awakening and revelation to a church planter, a speaker, pastor, and discipler, one sharing his story and God's story. He spent time in Arabia, Damascus, Jerusalem, Syria, Sicilia, uh, and Antioch. These are all areas of the Mediterranean Rim, okay? Saul took his first three missionary trips in the late 8040s, quite a long time ago. As he spent more time with Gentiles, he began to go by his Roman name, Paul. Good job. You guys are listening. I love it. Most theologians believe he wrote the following books of the New Testament. He's kind of a big deal. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus. Come on. He's kind of a big deal. These 13 letters or epistles make the Pauline authorship and are the primary sources of his theology. One could argue that he did more than any of the apostles. Not like it's a competition, but like I said, he could have stopped and we wouldn't have a lot of this book. He wrote more books in the New Testament than any other author. It is assumed that Paul died a martyr's death in the mid to late 80s, 60s in Rome. So, what can we learn from Paul's life? First, God can save anyone. He was transformed by God's saving grace. We are amazed that God would allow into a heaven a man who murdered men, women, and children. He isn't worthy of a second chance in our eyes. I mean, let's be honest. If we had someone in our modern day age, would we say like, nah, they're good. But this is what was demonstrated for God. He isn't, uh, every person matters to God, from the good, decent, average person to the wicked, evil, and degenerate one. Your story of sin, guilt, and shame would pale in comparison to what Paul did in the name of God. Second, we learn that anyone can be a humble, powerful witness for Jesus. No other human figure in the Bible demonstrated more humility while sharing the gospel of Jesus, says Paul. In Acts 20, 19, he says, I, lo- I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Acts 28, 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul was not afraid to tell others what the Lord had done with him, uh, for him. Paul spent his days from conversion to martyrdom working tirelessly for the kingdom of God. Although he carried the weight of guilt and shame his entire life, talk about guilt and shame. Heavy. That stuff doesn't go away. 
You know, God's, I, we believe God forgives and, and probably, and, uh, you know, but forgive and forget, we've heard that. I believe he felt forgiven, but he could not forget about what he had done. So he, that's why he, his whole life was very, much ba- uh, was very much cloaked in humility as he reached people. He's like, I'm the chief of all sinners. Third, anyone can fully surrender to God. Paul was committed to God. Despite his circumstances, Paul praised God and continually shared the good news, God's story and his story. Through his hardships and suffering, Paul knew the outcome of a life well lived for Christ. He had fully surrendered his life, trusting God for everything. And in Philippians 1.21, this captures a lot. This is a very, uh, very recited verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can we make that same claim? All right. Paul's story. Now, this may sound crazy, but the same type of life-altering event that impacted Paul has happened to many people here in this room. You're like, come on, it's the Apostle Paul, it's Saul, right? We were cha- There's similarities. A lot of you can identify with this. We were changed in an instant. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. There was an inflection point in all of our lives where our story intersected with God's story. Think about it for a moment. When was that? Can you point to a single time when this occurred? Or maybe several points that are part of your story. You know, it's not just this one sort of get off your, knocked off your horse type of moment. A lot of us, it's, if you can see the little dots, it's like a, it's like a journey, right? And there's multiple milestones along the way that have impacted you. But think about those. What were those? Let's memorialize them. Let's remember them. Um, I've heard, uh, I believe that Paul demonstrated that converted life is meant to be shared. It's not about, so when, you talk, when I talk about share, okay, um, and I'm speaking to some of the Christians in the room here, but when it's, when it's about sharing your life, it's not about, hey, you should read the Bible. Um, although that's a good starting point, okay? Uh, it's not about someone else's miraculous story in the church. Uh, man, you should hear, uh, you know, I'm going to use Justin. You should hear Justin's story, um, you know? Uh, you should hear Angel's story. You should hear John's story. You should hear Caleb's story. It's really good. It'll really talk about God's. That's good. And uh, we celebrate that. It's not about, you should come to my church. We have cool speakers and contemporary worship and good programs. Um, again, all good things. So please hear my heart. I'm not, I'm not demoting those. I'm not, I'm not uh, criticizing those. But we also need to hear your story. I need your story. The church needs your story. We need your story. Your families need your story. Our culture needs your story. Our world is looking for evidence of new life and being born again. That is the church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I need your story. I've been a Christian a long time, but man, it's like, it's like oxygen to my spirit to hear when God, people have changed people's lives, all right? You need to hear it. You need to be able to learn it. And I'm going to get to this, but we need your story. We need Paul's story. We need the story of Christ. We need the Bible. But 2,000 years later, is God alive or is he dead? If he's alive, how do I know he's alive? By your story. Paul's story is pretty incredible, right? And like dark and kind of sucky, right? And then it turns. But I just want to make sure you know your story is powerful as well. 
It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, the Christian faith is absolutely incredible. That you can go from seeing people live a certain life and then in that inflection point completely change or even gradually change. I don't care. And it's not just about maturing. It's not just about like, oh, because I was a kid and now I'm an adult now and I've kind of like learned to be better. It's like, no, there is an awakening that happens, a knock, your, knock you off your horse, blinding kind of moment that you then see clearly. I can see clearly now. So according to the Bible, hear me here, guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little hard here. Everyone has a super genophil, na, soup. All right, I can't even say that. A supernatural gift. Hear me while I can't talk. Everyone has a supernatural gift that's meant to be used for the body. We come, some of you come here every week and hear the Sunday experience gifts. When I say the Sunday experience gifts, our awesome worship leader, Jen, give her a hand. Let's celebrate the gift. Let's celebrate the, the, the mouth of John, the speaker, right? Me right now. Let's celebrate him. Should sing happy birthday again. No. The guys in the back, right? The people who are teaching our youth and all these things and the gifts. But we're not called to just sit here and listen. What would the body look like if each of us are using our miraculous gifts, sharing our stories, interpretation of scripture? What has God done believing what he will do? We are not designed, like think of like, God's creation was not like, I'm going to create you, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to show you who I am so that you can sit in a Sunday service for 45, or an hour and 15 on a Sunday morning. Oh, man. Let us take, let those scales fall off of how much bigger God's calling is on our lives, okay? This is good, so hear the tension. I'm not like, please, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> like, seriously, but if you're not a Christian and this is what life looks like, this is what Christian life looks like for the next 30 years, you're going to get disappointed. Right. All right. And if you're a Christian sitting in this room and this is what it has turned into, let us, let us feel that conviction that we are parts of the body. So I want to ask us to take the next step in participating in the body of Christ. A perfect start is to tell your story. For many of us though, I think we're simply not ready to tell our story. For various reasons, we haven't taken the time to ponder how our story can impact people and be a part of God's larger story. Have you ever, I know John and I do this. We're like, what's your story? People are like, uh, not like your Christian story. Just like start anywhere. I don't care. You know, it's like, well, okay. I, you know, I was, I was from this city and I did this and I did that. And so it's like, yeah, it's a hard question, right? I'm not, not, I'm not like uh, diminishing, like that's a hard thing to do, but to think of that. What's your story? What would you say? Where would you start? Right? What things would you highlight? What things would you uh, maybe demote or, or you know, uh, um, uh, suppress from your story? What, are those, what, what would that look like? Um, so for the next few minutes, I want to give some practical ways to share your inflection points, your story with God, how God has changed your life. This is one of the greatest gifts we have, and we must release it. So uh, real quick, this statement is inferred from, I think, Paul's life, uh, but I believe that he became a master of telling his story. Um, I told that story at the beginning of the service about how I totally messed up, you know, as an early father. And, but I didn't have to like, I have that story in me. Like I've, I've, I've told it a few times. Apparently I like to embarrass myself, but I tell that story so that I can help others. Okay. So I've memorized it. Be like, dude, it's your early dad. It's when you come home and the house is a mess. Like, don't do this. All right. Um, but 
Paul became a master of telling his story. He knew the Old Testament. He interviewed some of Jesus' disciples like Peter and James. He traveled to many cities to hear about the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. But in groups or even one-on-one, you can bet that he spent time talking about who he was as Saul the church, uh, Saul, the church persecutor, being delivered to and transformed to Paul the church planter by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. When he went to these places, that had to be part of his story, right? He wasn't just writing all the time, but he went. He's like, here's what happened to me, Seanity. Here's my story. Here's who I was, right? That's his story. Uh, so in, as we continue, what, what the importance of story, the importance of our, t- importance of our testimony, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was in the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at in our own hands and touched, this, like, it's my life, it's my experience. Who can argue with your story? I can't tell you your story's wrong, can I? It's your story. It's what's happened. I can't tell you, Alan, like what's happened. Like, no, that's not yours. That doesn't, that wasn't real. It's like, it's your story. So when you think about this is what God has done in my life. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Revelations 12, 10 through 11. Then I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven say, now have, uh, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night, he has been hurled down. How? How was he hurled down? They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We can triumph over our accuser with our story, with our testimony. Our testimony is a reminder to us and others. It gives people hope. So a few comments about what's in a story. I thought about, um, I thought it had to be something, I think some of you are like, I thought it had to be something terrible. Like it had to be like really dark and then like really glorious. You know, or like really fallen and really redeemed. And I, I just, I want to be like honest, like, that's, that's, we should celebrate that and admonish that, but uh, most stories are not that dramatic on its face, right? Um, and that's okay, but let us not diminish a changed life in God, as humble as it may seem, as ordinary as it may seem. Paul's story is extraordinary, all right? But there's a lot of people, just like my own kids, I hope they have an extraordinary conversion, but, um, you know, I also am raising them in church. I'm raising them around Jesus. I'm raising them around the Holy Spirit. We're raising them to adopt these principles, all right? And so I want that, that should be just as celebrated, amen? Whew. (laughs) So here we go. All right, number one, write it down. So start with these two questions. When you think about your story, if you're struggling, why do I love Jesus and what has he done for me that no one else could? Why do I love Jesus and what has he done for me that no one else could? Prepare it, practice it, and master it. And if you guys want to write these down, that would make me feel really good. But if you don't, it's okay. Um, But if you want to uh, pull out your phone and make a few notes, that would be awesome. Um, Or take a picture like, you're so smart. See, take a picture. Good job, Terry. Look for a theme in your life, uh, needing to be good enough, struggling with addiction, neglect, abuse, falling short, pain, hurt, resentment. You know, everyone's li- nobody's life's perfect, right? So what, what's, what's that theme in your life that you kind of feel like you kind of keep coming back to? Um, and, and really talk through what is that common thread where God has showed up? Share stories before, during, after God. Here's what I was like before. Uh, and tell, you, tell how you realize of your need to repent. Uh, repent is just change. Change your ways. Stop doing what you're doing. Uh, why did God reveal that to you? Uh, what, did, what did he do? What happened during your encounter with God? What happened? You know? Um, if this thing's real and it's real in your life, talk about it. What changed? What was different? Um, and talk about your life before Jesus and what life has become and how you're still being changed. The best is yet to come. 
Focus on what God has done and how he's changed your life. Uh, to show God who God is, not just biblical history, but how his spirit has manifested in your life, your work, your relationships, and your family. What does that look like? Where is God revealed in your life? Um, it can easy, it can, one thing here, uh, it, this is kind of Paul's opinion, but it can be easy to spend a testimony all about the struggle. Um, we connect with that, right? Do we connect with struggle? Uh, I know people like here when I struggle. You know, like, oh, man, it's so good. You know, to hear that you're struggling. Like, I know it's hard. But uh, we should absolutely set the, be honest about the struggle. Be honest. And even as Christians, man, I mean, we're, we've been, I mean, Christians for a long time. We struggle, right? This, it's not like that goes away. This isn't easy, okay? Be honest about the struggle. Uh, however, let us not drown in these waters of struggle, and I'm not saying don't be honest, but let us not get so drowning that it's like, oh, man, that's, you almost kind of get infatuated with it. And because um, I, I want us to remind us, we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. We are overcomers. We, we, we talk about the struggle. We're honest about it. But God, you know, just like Paul, Saul, he did all these things, but God changed completely his life. And he is an overcomer, Right. I don't believe he spent, at least on his, in, the, in his letters to the churches, he didn't keep talking about all these things he did every time. He talked to them kind of in generality without the particulars. He could have said, like, oh, man, I went into this church one time, and I, I dragged out, you know, four women and three kids. You're like, oh, gosh, you know, it's like, how is that helpful? He talked about it in, in, enough, in enough specifics to give, um, to, to understand the struggle, but didn't go too deep. We are overcomers. Amen? Lastly, trust that God will do what he wants to do. We're responsible for sharing our story. It's up to God for the rest of it. And I think this should take the pressure off. You know, my, like my story doesn't have to create on spot a, Christ, a convert to Christianity. That would be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't it be like, oh man, your story's so compelling. Like, let's go get baptized, right? Pray for me now for the Holy Spirit. And that, that, that actually has happened. And it does happen. I believe in those supernatural gifts. But I also believe people's journey is, is a long journey right? Of, of planting seed, of tilling the soil, planting seed, watering. And your story might be the thing that unleashes that. Your story sharing with someone else might be that beginning seed that's even created that gets put in the ground of someone's ultimate decision to follow Jesus. So like, let, take the pressure off. Take the pressure off that your story should, should convert. Uh, and, and it's a formula to convert people to Christianity. That's not what it's about. Um, you'll be surprised um, the things that God speaks to people's life through your testimony, through your story. So be ready, write it down, practice it, master it. And lastly, don't miss this, share it. Share your story and let God do amazing things through you. Jen, you guys can come up. You know, what's a great thing is, uh, you know, Monica and I were just talking, she just started a new job about a month ago and in your LinkedIn profile, uh, I use LinkedIn, I'm in business, I a lot of you LinkedIn. In your LinkedIn profile, you give like a header, right? A little story about who you are. Uh, like I'm a, I'm a, I could bring mine up, but I'm not going to, but you know, I'm a product manager. I've been doing healthcare, uh, software development for 15 years. And I have, uh, you know, responsibilities for all this crazy technical stuff. Um, and it talks about who I am, what I've done, right? What th the, the, the things that's accomplished. And I think we almost need to take this. I hope you, you, you took some pictures of this and you'll write it down that I can come to you and say, what's your story? And you could say, not just like, well, I've been going to church my whole life and it's good. Like, I'm not going to say that's bad, but I believe there's more to your story than that. There's more to your story. And what a wonderful place to start than with a life group 
to almost practice that story. We did this with a leadership team about two years ago. We went through our story and we, we took like four hours and we went through and talked about the highs and the lows and it gave such beautiful insight. Like I know the cooks, but when you guys went through your story, it was just amazing to see where God, the struggle and where you guys have turned to God in moments of um, a huge part of their, huge parts of their life. And uh, they have an amazing story. Been in church your whole life, right? Alan's family, right? <laughs> like, crazy, dark, right? And I'm not, I'm not like, please tell me to stop. But he comes from like, not a perfect family. And it's dark. And we both have talked about the, you know, being around drug addiction and, and substance abuse and being raised with that and the impact that has on your life. Yet God, in our lives, have given us a chance wasn't in my notes. Thanks, Alan. I don't want to identify with the struggle and get lost in the struggle, but like God awakened um, my dad, who grew up in a long line of alcoholics, to separate and still struggle through his life, but to give me a chance to break from the addiction. And I'm not an alcoholic man, it's in my family. Let's not by, let us not be naive to think like, I haven't struggled with it until I'm 40 and suddenly I can't just start struggling with that. But that God gives our, my kids a chance to live in a home free of substance abuse, free of addiction, free of just shortcomings, free of sin. It's part of my story. You guys don't know my story, all of it. I'd love to tell you it. Um, you know, Meg and I were just talking about this. What's your story? And we, we started a craft together. What does that look like? All right. So let me, let me, can you guys just uh, close your eyes? I pray we're a church that remembers, celebrates, and shares what God has done and continues to do. Gathering for Sunday service of worship and hearing the word is great. Joining a life group, we believe, is vital to community, spiritual accountability, and growth. Confessing our need for grace and serving our community is fundamental to our faith. These are Hill City values. And, and, let us not forsake the proclamation of the good news. Let us not neglect it. I don't mean just saying like Jesus died 2,000 years ago and he's resurrected and he was the perfect sacrifice for, for all of mankind for the forgiveness of our sins, but the proclamation of the good news in your life. That's a win for Hill City. Coming here and singing these songs, awesome. Enter into worship. But can we also put equal value on the small moment of Rico at his job, having a conversation with a coworker and he shares his story of his faith journey. Gosh, that's awesome. 
can we hear those stories where like I took the chance and I shared my story of God on the kingdom, that death, that last song, that we sing that in, these, in this room, but we also take that into our world and we share about these, these superlatives and these adjectives about who God is and we do that through our story. There are some different journeys in this room today. Some of you are at a profound inflection point. Can you guys just stand with me? Some of you are at a profound inflection point in your life. The story of Paul's radical transformation um, from church persecutor to Jesus follower is intriguing. Uh, I want to tell you today that God can do for you what he did for Paul and many people in this room. Would you answer the voice of Jesus today? And he said, who, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus. Why are you doing that? Why are you living the way you're living? Um, maybe you're not obviously uh, imprisoning Christians, um, but you know where you're falling short. You know the life you're living isn't what God's called you to. It's called sin. It's falling short. It's missing the mark. You know what you're doing. And um, would you answer that call today? Would you consider him today and taking that next step from your current life to a full life of following him? There's a wonderful journey in him. It's not easy and far from perfect, but to live is Christ indeed. Some of you have an amazing story of how God has changed you. Let us not forsake telling our story. God has given us the gift of teaching. This isn't reserved for just me and John. We're not the only mouth in here, and I'm not saying that we are the only two mouths. Just, just, just go with me. There's about 100 people in this room, and some of you have awesome stories. Your mouth, your, your gift is supernatural. It's a miraculous story that needs to be shared. Your conversion story from death to life may be just part of someone's journey to make the decision to follow Jesus. And lastly, some of you don't think your story is worth sharing. Even if you spent your entire life in church and are a good person, you have an amazing story. God, reveal to us the life-changing aspects of who you are. And as growing up uh, in the church, uh, there was a moment when this God stuff became real. And, uh, you know, we truly called him Lord. That I re you, you, one would repent and surrender from the ways of goodness and works. You know, going to church every day and being a nice person and loving people, that's good. That's really good. But what's the inflection point of where God really changed your life? What is that? I know it's there. And sometimes we just got to think about it, all right? Bring it to life. Let it surface. It's all about falling in love with Christ and saying without reservation to live as Christ and to die as game. Pray with me. God, your stories are amazing. The, the Old Testament, the, uh, the, the books and the laws of the prophets, and then these new le these letters, the, the eyewitness accounts of your, your life and your death and your resurrection, and then the, uh, the, the letters by Paul and John and Peter. Beautiful stories, God, of who you are, your character. The teachings of how to live our life are wonderful. God, here we are 2,000 years later. I believe, God, your story is still alive. I believe your story is ongoing. It's morphing. It's evolving. It's impacting people even today, God. Lord, may we practice this. Write it down and share it, God. God, teach us. God, give us wisdom to, to and reveal in our minds.
properties, God, those things that, that need to be so pertinent, God, are so, so profound, and these markers in our lives that need to come out. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would remind us, may it remind some of us of the goodness of who you are, Father. You are real. Your stories are never-ending, God. And God, may we be a people that share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we just sing one? I don't know, should we sing? <laughs> We're a little over. I'm going to sing. How does it go? I'm going to sing. Can you think of this, though? Can you just do me one favor when we sing this last, this last chorus? Um, think of it in the context of... Um, Think of it in the in the context of like of, of taking it out of this room. Share those words. Think those words. Just be like, I'm gonna sing them here. But how would that look in my life? And I believe it's it's hard to go and say, you know, death is defeated, right? To someone out in the out in the out in the out, outside, death is defeated. God's like, okay. But man, how is death defeated in, in in your? How is death defeated in your life? How has God changed you? What did Jesus? do that no one else could do. So when you think this last thing, say, God, give me creativity. God, give me just an, an inspirational story that I can share that I'm just one part of this, this broader story with this person's life. So can we say that one more time and think of it in that way? Cause I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear Father, we just thank you for this moment, Lord. We don't little the moment, Lord God, but we take it all in, Lord. I pray that our story will be heard, Lord, this week, Lord God, that we would tell of what you have done and what you are doing, Lord God. And, and I pray, Lord God, that we will be ones to tell of our story that talk about your story, Lord God. Empower Hill City Church to be a city on a hill. Empower them to be salt of the earth, Lord God, so that they would taste you, Lord God, that they would see you, Lord God, and feel your warmth and your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, and thank you for being here. Man, give, give God a hand.